You may be seated and you can be turning to Matthew chapter 5 as we're going to begin a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you'll open your pew Bibles or open your Bibles and turn to Matthew and chapter 5. I was thinking before I read the text of this song, Majestic Sweetness Sits Enthroned. And Jesus comes here and sits on the mount and teaches his disciples. Beginning in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was sat, when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let us pray. Holy Father, I just pray as we begin this series, Lord, that you would bless us as we take a look at your sermon, the sermon, the sermon of all sermons. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, give us preaching grace, give us hearing grace. Lord, let us grow in our understanding of what it means to be children of the King. These things I pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, it's April the 16th, 2023. About 6,000 years ago, there was a terrible tragedy that happened in our past, in our history. It's a tragedy that affects you to this day. We became separated from happiness. We became excluded from paradise. But at that same time, there was also the promise given of a restorer that would restore happiness to the children of God. And that was the light of hope that was given to our first parents that there would be the one who would come and restore that happiness. About 2,500 years ago, there was a man named Daniel. And Daniel spoke also of this king, this coming one. And there were many times that he was spoken of up to the time of Daniel. But Daniel said this in 924. He said, Seventy weeks are determined upon the people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So Daniel saw Christ in his visions. He saw this king that was coming. And then at the end of the Old Testament, the last words that we hear from God end, lest he come and smite the earth with a curse. 400 years of darkness. No word in prophecy. No writings of God for 400 years. 
And against the backdrop of that darkness, the one who was promised 6,000 years ago came on the scene. You know, it's as if the Ancient of Days got on a ship and he was on this 4,000 year long journey to get to planet Earth. And all along the way, he was sending messages and communications to the earth through prophets and dreams and saying, I'm coming, I'm coming. And from time to time, he would appear. And then this very King of Kings and Lord of Lords appeared and took upon himself a body of flesh, the nature of Abraham. And 2,000 years ago, this king came in and broke in on the scene. And Matthew begins to record this. And the first thing Matthew does is record his genealogy. You know, whenever there were competitions of royalty or anything that went on in the old days, they had to produce a genealogy to prove that they were actually royal. The first thing Matthew does, he produces the genealogy. Here is the king. Christ is the promised one. And he's on the scene. And the very first thing he does, in his most humble and weak state, as a baby, is he breaks the curse. Because when he comes out of the womb, he doesn't carry the curse with him. The one that you brought with you. And this king grows up as a man. He's baptized by his cousin. The Holy Spirit and the Father both testify at the baptism. This is my son. This is the king of glory. The promised one. And immediately he goes to be tested by the prince of the power of the air. For 40 days and 40 nights. And in his weakest state, he shows that Satan is no match for him. And he conquers Satan by what? The Word. His Word. The Word made flesh conquered the enemy of your souls. And this King of Kings is here as we open the Sermon on the Mount declaring the kingdom. He has said in previous chapter in verse 17, he says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The King has come from glory He came to earth 2,000 years ago and He's declaring the kingdom. And He says in verse 23 that He went in 423, chapter 423, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And He comes and He heals your worst disease, believer. The leprosy of your soul. As we go into this sermon, this sermon is the longest recorded message that we have from Christ. And as I was sitting here thinking about it, as we were singing these songs, do you know that... This kingdom that Jesus is talking about here, this reality of being born of the Spirit and being in this kingdom, every song we sing is singing about that kingdom. And the place of the heart that these songs is flowing out of is coming from people that are in that kingdom. And the first part of this, the first 12 verses... Is what is called the Beatitudes. There are eight of them. And it's a description of the kingdom subjects 
It's a description of their character. Of the reality that they're living in now. And also about their future state. And future promises. As you go down through there. Blessed are. Blessed are. Present tense. And then shall be. Shall be future tense. And just in the first chapter of the sermon, it goes all the way through chapter 7, we see uh, in the next part, in verses 13 through 16, kingdom righteousness. And really, if you could pick out one verse in this sermon and say this is a main theme throughout all of this sermon, it would be verse 20. For I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. So you take the best preacher you know, the holiest person you know, except your righteousness exceeds what you think a good person is, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is a theme throughout this. This is the, right, the stated righteousness that we live in and the righteousness that is required to be in the kingdom. And Christ is the righteousness required for us. And so the Sermon on the Mount is an exposition. It's an explanation of the entire Bible, essentially. Christ comes in here and corrects misinterpretation of the law. He explains that. And as you go through, and as you start, as, as we go through this, you're going to find that when you're reading any part of the New Testament, that is just other people talking about what Christ has already talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And so the king has arrived. The king has his court. The king chooses his throne. A mountain. The king sits and he opens his mouth and he teaches in Matthew 5.1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So Christ comes and he sees the multitudes. He's been going through and healing. It says right at the end of the last chapter that his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all the sick, Different diseases, torments, people possessed with devils, lunatics, palsies. He heals them all. Showing his credentials. I am the one and I'm doing what no one has ever done before. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee. We have the Galilean ministry that begins here and goes through chapter 9. They're from Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Multitudes. He goes up into a mountain. An elevated place. The Ancient of Days. Who's been speaking through prophets. Now, we have his son speaking. Hebrews chapter 1. He spoke to us in different ways and different means through different men. And now, his son has come and is speaking to us. This mountain now becomes the mountain. You can imagine years later when some of the apostles would be passing by that mountain and they would think, that's where the Master preached. He who descended from heaven, the most elevated place in glory, now goes up a little mountain so he can be better heard. By his disciples. You know once he came down. On a mountain to give the law. In which no one could approach. The terror of the law. Was to condemnation. And now he goes up. A mountain. And the gospel he preached. And beckons all. To come near. He comes and He sits. He would say later in Matthew, I sat daily with you in the temple. 
It's the custom of the Jewish teachers to sit while they taught. But the Jewish teachers sat in Moses' seat. Jesus sits in his own seat. And wherever he sits, it's his own seat. Wherever this king sits is a throne. And he is seated now at the right hand of glory. And he gives us this message, this sermon. And every time we read this and we go through this sermon, do you know that it is the means of your salvation? Because you are saved when you are born of the Spirit. And you are being saved by the means of grace. And God has appointed preaching for you so that every time you come, you would be encouraged and your strength would be increased. And whatever it is He's working in your soul would be perfected so that when the completion of this kingdom is perfected, you'll be ready to enter into that kingdom. Like Senior was ready to enter in the other day. And so today my purpose is to show you the king of the kingdom and the subjects of the kingdom. The king of the kingdom and the subjects of the kingdom. So the first thing we'll do is we'll talk about who are the subjects of the kingdom. We'll be looking at this for a while. We'll try to get through the first couple of Beatitudes here today. And so first we'll talk about who are the subjects of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Beatitudes are not a seven-step approach to gaining entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are the state of those that are born again and are already in the kingdom. So this king is declaring the state of the kingdom both now and future as he goes through these beatitudes. And he's declaring that those that are in the happiest place in creation are those that know that they are poor in spirit. And we'll talk a little bit about the paradox next, but you're going to see as we go through these that these appear to be contradictions. They that are happy are poor. So this king that's come from another world, another galaxy, another realm, from a far country who's not of this world, and he gives spiritual life to his subjects of his kingdom, he gives them happiness, and he gives them a sight to see that they have nothing of any value to bring to this king or this kingdom. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. To be poor in spirit. The word poor means to crouch or to cringe. The idea of being a beggar crouching and cringing and begging. It means lacking anything. Intelligence, money, ability, culture, power, influence. This poorness of spirit is an awareness of a deep sense of poverty, of bankruptcy. In a king's court, like King Henry VIII or others, there would be barons, knights, and the nobility. You're about to get to see a coronation, though it's really a, it's just a show today. Kings that... A king that has no power, really. But watch it. Because there's going to be a lot of beautiful tradition there and everything. And when you watch something like this coronation that's coming up, you're going to see the way men do things. With all the pomp and the wealth and the show and nobility, the rich. But this, this king's court, this king of glory... The only way to get into this court is to be completely poor. Emptied of self. This grace of poorness of spirit is 
the first evidence that a soul has been born from above. You see, everyone is poor in spirit, but not all see it. This is what Christ meant in Matthew 9, a little later, when He says unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. These are those who see themselves as sick, they know they're sick, they know they have leprosy of heart, and they're the ones that come to Christ and say, Lord, help me. Help me. We just sang about this. Jesus is all I wish or want. From Him I pray, I thirst, I pant. The person who wrote these lyrics are demonstrating this poorness of spirit. Let others after earth aspire. Christ is the treasure I desire. And so having the eyes opened when you're born of the Spirit, the first thing you see is Christ in all His richness and glory. And your condition of being completely destitute and bankrupt spiritually. It's to see that all your works and righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. That pride is a stench to God. This poorness of spirit is the chief cornerstone of the kingdom. From poorness of spirit flows all the other beatitudes. From this chief cornerstone of faith, poorness of spirit, our lives are built on the chief cornerstone Himself. This is where we see that apart from Him, we can do nothing of any value spiritually. No one grows in grace until they see their need of grace. All other graces grow out of the soil of poverty of spirit. You can't hunger and thirst until you know you're empty. Just as I am, without one plea. But, That your blood was shed for me. And you bid me come. Do you see your poverty of soul today? Are you feeling that? I hope you are. I hope you are. Because he bid you come to him. Those that are weary and heavy laden. Those that have been bitten. By sin and conviction. This one is lifted up. Yeah. He's lifted up for you. And so we like the prodigal son. Begin to be in want. When we realize we're eating pig slop. This is what it means to be like the publican praying. When he beat on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He could not even look up. This is what it means when Christ said, except you be converted and become as a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is what it means when Job said, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This poverty of spirit is the jewel which we must wear. 
Watson says, as the best creature was made out of nothing, so when a man sees himself to be nothing, out of this nothing God makes a most beautiful creature. And so until we are poor in spirit, we are not capable of receiving grace. And it is those that are born of the spirit that are poor in spirit. And those that are poor in spirit are the rich of this world. And this poverty entitles you to a kingdom. (laughs) And many are in this world who think themselves rich. And many of them will not know how poor they are until it's too late. I hope you're not like that. How rich are those who see themselves poor? This is what it means to save our life by losing it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. How do you know if you are poor in spirit? You might be asking, how do I know? Do you treasure Christ? Like we sang, Christ is the treasure I desire. Do you treasure precious faith? Peter's talking about there in 1 Peter. Like precious faith. Without faith, it is impossible for men to... To please God without faith, there will be no entrance. And faith is given, and faith is alive, and faith exercises. Are you begging God out of His richness because you are poor? Are you going to God and saying, God, I've got this situation that I'm dealing with in my life. I don't know how to deal with it. I have no idea how to deal with this. I pray you would help me, oh God. It is this poverty of spirit that paves the way for being happy. American Christianity in the whole is not teaching this kind of Christianity. This poorness of spirit is the exact opposite of what the world says. You need to be happy. Those that are in this kingdom that have this nature, Christ came from this far, far away place, this kingdom, and and He brought an alien righteousness. He was like an alien from another planet. And all of those that are in union with Him have these alien characteristics. The world hates these alien characteristics. This is what will lead you being persecuted. People will despise you. And American Christianity teaches a kind of grace that excuses wickedness and sin. And Christ says those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it means whenever Christ said, I come to put a sword in families. Father is going to be against sons and daughters are going to be against mothers. There's going to be a split in families because when those are born again, those that are not are going to hate them. Just like Cain and Abel. It's the same story again and again and again. And those that are of this world, the wicked of this world, are going to try to get you to conform to their way of thinking. They're going to try to say, you've got to excuse my sin. Well, I'm only human. But you stick to the Word. Quote the Word. Quote the Scripture. Give them truth in love and in kindness. But the truth is the divider. You are not. The sword of this king is what splits. And this poorness of spirit is 
the opposite of what the world teaches. Blessed are the rich. Blessed are the beautiful. Blessed are the smart. Blessed are the Ivy Leaguers. Blessed are the Hollywood types. Here it is blessed are the poor. The one who came, the king of all glory came and was born in a manger, not a palace. He knows what it's like to be poor. Who had nowhere to lay his head. And yet he owned all things. Proverbs 13, 7, there is one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Great riches. Rejoice, believer. You have great riches. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. This beatitude leads right into that state of mourning. Because as we see our actual condition... Of being destitute, of having leprosy of soul and disease of soul, and, and beginning to smell the stench of our sin. As, as Spurgeon talked about, he said that old man is like a dead body strapped to our back that we have to carry around all the time and smell its foul odors. As that realization becomes clear to us as we're born of the Spirit of God, and we come to realize that in Christ, we stand before God in His righteousness, perfect and whole. When we see the difference between our state now and our standing before God in Christ, we mourn. That produces the mourning. Oh Lord, I want to be like You. Lord, thank You for giving me Your righteousness. Help me to be more like You. Help me to grow in grace. Help me to understand what it means to mortify sin and put it to death. And so out of this poverty and helplessness comes that clear spiritual sight and we mourn over our condition. We see the vast chasm of difference between who we are by birth and who He is by birth. And we have a great promise here because those that are born of the Spirit are going to be poor and they are going to mourn. And so you're going to need a lot of comfort until you get to glory. And so He promises here they shall be comforted. And He gives you that word comfort there. It's great. Because that word, it's paraclete, Holy Spirit. The same root word we have for Holy Spirit, the comforter. And Jesus sent that comforter to you and you have the very spirit of comfort dwelling in you to comfort you, to help you through all your trials. Second Corinthians 1, who comforts us in all our tribulation, all our pressures, being in the vice grip of pressures of life, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. So as we're comforted by Him, we out of compassion go to help comfort others. And so that is being poor. There's so much more there, uh, so many verses about being poor in spirit. Maybe we'll go to Psalm 72. The last psalm David wrote was Psalm 72. It is the psalm of Jesus Christ. David speaking in the spirit of Christ and it speaks of the poor again and again and again in that psalm. That king is concerned about the poor because they're his children. He has great compassion on you. The second thing I would just talk about a little bit more is this paradox of the kingdom. How this kingdom is so opposite to what the world says. I've already mentioned a little bit about that. But just to illustrate from a 
uh, unbeliever. Ralph Waldo Emerson was a poet and a philosopher who died about 100 years ago. And he wrote a famous essay called Self-Reliance. And it kind of captured the spirit of the age, the spirit of our age, which is really the same lie that Satan convinced Adam and Eve. Self-reliance. And this is a quote from that work of Mr. Emerson. Trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Discontent is the want of self-reliance. It is infirmity of will. That's about the most opposite to the teachings of Christ's Beatitudes. Of anything that could be stated. Ralph Waldo Emerson is who John was talking about in 1 John 4 5 when he said, They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. Probably the most ubiquitous religion in America today is the religion of humanist philosophy or psychology. They're really one and the same. Psychology is part of the air we breathe. In fact, if you go take college courses today in in just about any field, they're going to require some kind of psychology. Psychology was invented, I've gone over this before, by a man who called himself a God-hating Jew. Mr. Freud and Maslow and others all hated God and hated Christianity. And their entire scheme was to come up with a way for man to deal with this sin problem without taking, having to take responsibility for it. Some way to explain it away and to deal with the pains of the conscience. This paradox of the kingdom is the opposite of that in the world today. And I'll tell you, it gets into our thinking. Whenever Hugh Hardy had gone through his surgery and had the tumor removed off his spine and he became paralyzed, they sent a psychologist into him because they just assumed, oh, Hugh Hardy was going to be depressed. But he wasn't. And after about two days of talking to a man from this kingdom... That psychologist stopped showing up. Because he couldn't understand a man that wasn't depressed. A man that had hope and faith and confidence. A man that was from another world. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. And this whole world lies in wickedness. And this world doesn't understand this. And it's why Paul would go into that part there in the Corinthian letter where he'll say the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. They can't understand it. They can't be reasoned with unless they be born again. They can't see the kingdom of God. Unless they be born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. The blessedness of the kingdom subjects will be my final point. just want to talk about what does this mean to be blessed? Blessed are, blessed are. He would say this nine times, blessed in eight Beatitudes. Nine pronouncements of blessings. It's present tense, so it means those that are born of the Spirit that are in this kingdom now are in this state. And it's a state of happiness. To be blessed is to be in union with Christ by faith. It's to be in relationship with Him. It's to be aware of His presence. It's to abide in that presence. The presence of God is the essence of joy. And it's an abiding joy that is very sweet and precious. And it ebbs and flows in our lives because of us, not because of Him. 
To be blessed is to live in the very presence of the Father. There's a term that's called quorum Deo. Quorum Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God. Under the authority of God. To the glory of God. In the joy of God. To be blessed is to be ever living in your Father's presence. And again, we see that in our own families. God gave us these families for a reason. When we see our children are happy, they feel secure and protected when they're with mom and dad. And they love to see mom and dad looking at them while they're doing their bicycle riding or whatever. And the father and the mother, the, the great joy of their life is to be at home with their kids gathered around their feet and experiencing the joys of family. To be blessed is to be in a state of happiness. Right now as you're sitting in this room, do you sense that blessedness of living in His presence? And so we as believers, because we enjoy that presence, we discipline our mind to not be, to separate ourselves from anything that He doesn't like. To separate ourselves from sin. There was kind of a, a thing that got started some years ago that says, What would Jesus do? They, well, it turned into marketing and bracelets and it got ridiculous. But there's, there's a, a kernel of idea there that whatever you do, do all to the glory of God and remember He's watching. He's there. You're loving. This is not a father sitting there trying to stamp out your pleasure, He's there rejoicing with you. He's, he wants to enjoy life with you. Jim Elliott in his diaries said, Lord, I, I pray that you would come into this day with me and enjoy every moment of this day with me. I want to share this life with you. When you're in love with someone, don't you want to share life with them? This is what I think it means in Psalms 32.8 when he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with mine eye. When you're always living in the presence of God's face, where He's looking down on you in love and joy and pleasure at you being His child, just a look of the eye. Yes, Father. What would you have me do, Father? I delight to do Thy will, O Father. This state of blessedness comes from God the Father because this word blessed is used in the name of God in a couple of places. In 1 Timothy 1.11 According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. The blessed God. God lives in a state of being that is happy. He's always happy. 1 Timothy 6, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of glory. To understand this blessedness that he's pronouncing on you, believer, you have to understand that it comes from him who is blessed. It's to be in his presence. Those born from above by the loving Holy Spirit have the foretaste of of this happiness now. As he says, the kingdom of heaven is yours now. As he gives you comfort, and he also says, you're going to inherit the earth. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Do you sense the forgiveness of your sins? Your conscience washed? No guilt. There's nothing more painful than a guilty conscience. How blessed is it to have our transgressions forgiven, our sin covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Psalm 119, David said, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. 
Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. Blessed are they that do His commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. We have right to the tree of life, brothers and sisters. This sermon of our Lord describes those who are living in faith, in union with Him, in obedience to His Word. This is the place of exceeding joy. That's just a little bit about what it means to be happy. I know if you're in Christ, you've tasted that already. You've tasted the appetizer. Those that have crossed over are getting the full course meal. To be blessed, it also means that you know how to live in every situation. Philippians 4.11 Paul said, not that I was ever in need, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. If I'm hungry, I'm alright. If I'm full, I'm okay. In every situation, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Him. Are you content in every situation you're in? Then ask Him for it. Seek Him for it. That's the current state of those who are born of the Spirit. A state of blessedness. It's better than the state of Georgia. State of blessedness. State of happiness. We see what state people are in, whether they're in a state of grace or not, when they, when they get in the heat of the moment. Isn't that true? Uh... Even in baseball games. <laughs> Sometimes I see people who profess the name of Christ behave in a certain way, both parents and coaches, at sporting events. It's just a game. And sometimes we get so wrapped around stuff. But we have to do like Paul said, possess ye your souls. So what's your past week look like? Every trial that comes your way is sent to you in love that you might grow in grace. That's easier said, you know, to say that, but it's true. This Lord, out of your poverty of spirit, has all riches, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus are yours. Oh, that you would believe that. Do you really believe that all things work together for your good? Then why fret over the trials that come? We need more faith in that, don't we? That's the promise. We need to believe it more. This kingdom of God is in you right now. So what is the kingdom of God? Just briefly. Luke 17.21, the kingdom of God is within you. So when you're born of the Spirit, that kingdom of God is born in your soul. You become a citizen of that other world. And you're called to occupy until the king comes and finishes wiping out all of his enemies here. He is a long-suffering and patient king and he's waiting and giving this whole planet grace every day to repent and believe. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that kingdom is in you. It's growing in you. He's feeding it. He feeds it through messages, through study, through prayer, through the Word of God. He's beating down the devil's garrisons in your life. He's bringing your heart into sweet subjection. He's helping you to put down the enemy of pride. There's still traitors in the castle that got, got to be found out and put to death. And in all of this, this King of Glory is ruling and reigning. And then there's going to come a day when we're going to see that kingdom not only rule in the hearts of men, we're going to see that kingdom rule over everything. As all enemies are brought under this king's feet, he's ruling and reigning, Psalm 110, till all 
his enemies are made his footstool. Then the king will come. Some of those enemies he's going to turn into his friends. And others he will come and miserably destroy. So here we have the king comes, he sits, he speaks, and he's telling his blessed children, this is what's going on inside of you. Don't be alarmed. This is the reality of your current state, and you have perfect standing before God the Father in me. You are those that are overcoming Overcomers. Do you know that, that we must be overcomers? Let me put it another way. Do you know that you will be an overcomer? It's not that you must, it's that you will. Revelations 2.7 He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You like to eat of that fruit? I would say that through Christ we're already eating of that fruit. But there's going to come a day where that's going to be perfected and we enter into eternal life and eternal glory and the new heavens and the new earth. And he also says there in Revelation, the same chapter 2 of 11, He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. There is a second death that is eternal. And all of those that are born of the Spirit overcome the second death. So I would persuade you, brothers and sisters, that you are in a state that is paradoxical. It appears to be contradictory at times. But to be poor in spirit is to be the happiest person in the world. Because through the rich king, all things are yours. I would persuade you, as Christ said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you repented of your sins and trusted in this king? Have you come to see that Christ became poor so that you might be made rich? Have you come to see that Christ took upon his own body and soul? All of the punishment that we deserve for every sin we'll ever commit. I hope you have. And if you have, you are now in that state of blessed, happy mourning. And rejoicing. And I pray the Lord would bless you to trust Him. To trust His King who's coming again in glory. May God bless His Word.